All roads lead to power. And on this show, we're going to break that idea down a little bit. What is power? Who has it? And how do you get it? I'm your host, Jeff Coulard. Welcome to the show. It's a realization that power without love is reckless and abusive, and that love without power is sentimental and anemic. Because the so-called real world of men and money and power comes merrily along on the fuel of fear and anger and frustration and craving and the worship of self. The really important kind of freedom involves attention and awareness and discipline. If people don't learn power, people don't wake up. If they don't wake up, they get left out. Okay, welcome to the first episode of Powerful, the live stream version. And so I've been doing a podcast for about the last year, and I've decided to shift gears and do some live interviews on Facebook and YouTube uh, to bring on interesting guests and have really fascinating conversations about important topics related to things like power and leadership and life more broadly. And so today I'm thrilled to invite someone who I've learned a ton from in the time that I've known her. She's a leadership and business coach and just an all around wonderful human being. Her name is Kimberly McAdams, and I'm thrilled to spend the rest of the evening here with her talking about artificial harmony, this thing that happens in relationships and on teams where there's conflict and there's tension, but it's not being talked about, and it's not certainly not being dealt with. And it, it impacts our work, and it impacts us as people in lots of profound ways. And it's something that we really need to, to look at and address. And I spend a lot of time looking at and addressing both my own life, but also with the teams that I work with. And so without further ado, I'm going to welcome Kimberly McAdams to the show. Kimberly, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Jeff. It's lovely to be here. Well, it's great to see you and to talk about something I think that's near and dear to our hearts, which is leadership and helping leaders get the most out of the experience and out of their people and create the conditions for their people to really thrive in. And I know that you and I have both been witness to and chatting a lot about psychological safety in the workplace. And one of these symptoms, I would call it, of psychological safety, which is this idea of artificial harmony. Can you expand a little bit on like, what, what are we talking about when we're talking about artificial harmony? Yeah, it was a concept that initially, so initially, I thought it was a, more of a feeling. So my background's in the restaurant industry in years, and I think it, every one of us listening to the show has has walked into a restaurant before. And even though things look clean, and the lighting's good, and the maybe the host at the front has a smile on her face, there's just something that's off. And we can feel it. We can feel it when we walk into a room. We can feel it when we're on a, in a meeting. So an example would be, if somebody's been on the phone the whole time, or laughing to themselves, or maybe even like, heaven forbid, playing a game in the background, and nobody's saying anything, and we're looking at each other, and maybe there's eye contact between people, but there's nobody saying saying anything because we don't want to ruffle feathers or we don't want to disturb the peace. Um, Another thing that came to my radar, so a lot of my work used to be in the U.S. and I used to get again and again and again from our U.S. clients of Canadians are just so nice. And in the beginning, I'm like, wow, that was a really great compliment. And as I thought about it further and further, I'm like, wait a second, what is different? Like, why is this such a part of our culture where it's not necessarily as much of a culture in the US? And what I found was with doing our work, 
mostly with U.S. companies, they would name what the problem was right away. They're like, here's our problem. We talk over each other or we need to figure out a decision-making matrix or we need to have a better way to solve these problems. What are you going to do to help us? Whereas Canadians more so are like, well, I don't really want to throw anybody (laughs) under the bus. Or no, we don't have a problem. Everything's good. And so it's this artificial harmony of, perceiving and maybe even a truth, a high level truth, is that things are good. But when we start to peel back the layers a little bit, it's actually not true. Okay. And so you mentioned like it's a feeling and we've probably all had that feeling that something's off in a relationship or it's off on a team and nobody's naming it. Um, Is it also behaviors? Like it's also a set of actions because that's what I tend to find myself looking for in on teams. Like what are the behaviors here uh, that are keeping conflict suppressed? Do you have any that kind of things that you look for. I know I've got a couple that really stand out for me, but I'm curious if you have like, oh, is there a warning sign on a team that you walk in? You're like, oh, that's a, a red flag, red flag. We've got artificial harmony. Um, so in a meeting that I was in a couple of weeks ago, the one of the people in the meeting kept saying, okay, well, I'm curious about, or if they're, if they say something along the lines of, hmm, that's interesting. And those are some of the words that can be indicators but it's more so it's those words paired with a tone. And so I think we were talking about it earlier today that of communication that's absorbed, only 7% comes from the words that we speak. 45% comes from our body language and 48% comes from our tone of voice. And so it's usually the artificial harmony of the big red flags are usually "Mm, that tone, even though the words seem okay, like I'm interested or I'm curious, words seem great, but compared with a tone or a body language, if there's maybe a um, a dialogue in just in between two people where multiple people in the room are being ignored, that's another indicator too. Um, the other thing too is that like if if things in the meeting aren't going along smooth or if someone is if we're not talking about the real issue or like things like that, we feel it like it's just, it's palatable. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Maybe let's ask the listeners what they've noticed for artificial harmony. When you think of unresolved conflict, unresolved tensions yeah. on your teams or in your life, what are some of those signs and symptoms? And we'll see if we can throw them up on the screen here. So feel free to type them into the chat. What are some things that you've experienced on teams that you would call artificial harmony or kind of conflict avoidance? I think one that I see a lot of is meetings before meetings or meetings after meetings, right? Where the re- again, like the real issue isn't talked about in the meeting itself. And there's a lot of energy and effort that goes into prepping people for the meeting, right? So the leaders walking around, having lots of one-on-one meetings with their with colleagues, trying to get people on board or on side with a certain decision or direction that they want to take the meeting in, um, kind of building alliances. And it's just a ton of extra time and energy to get a little coalition together so that the meeting you know, goes how they want it to go. Um, or after the meeting, you know, when we've had a meeting that maybe didn't go as well as we wanted to, or a decision wasn't made, or people didn't like a decision, and then all of a sudden people scatter out of the boardroom and a bunch of doors close, and all of these conversations are happening, right? And so I guess maybe that's, there's a question buried in there around, like, what's normal, healthy, productive venting? Because that's like, I would call it venting or gossiping or like, backdoor, backroom conversations that aren't coming out into the open. There's a certain level of that that I think is just normal, right? Mm -hmm. Where people, you're going to buy a beer for a colleague and you're going to go out and you're going to vent a little bit about 
you know, the bad decision that the boss made. Um, but, but maybe when it becomes chronic or maybe like, what do you, what's the distinguishing factor for you around some of the behaviors um, with artificial harmony? Hmm. There's um, the way that I like to think about it. So if it's a conversation that's happened once, so if I have a favorite colleague that I work with and I'm like on the phone to her or him right after being like, can you believe what they just said in that meeting? And it's energy, right? That venting is energy and it needs to go somewhere. Like we need to actually get it out of us. If that is a habit and keeps us from actually making traction and moving forward on uh, the development of the team or or pulls my attention away from actually um, transforming or being a catalyst for what's important or what needs to happen. So if I'm complaining or if I'm venting once, that's different than venting again and then again. There's a difference between what I call a complaint, um, a pain, and a stressor. So a complaint is something that, you like, it's surface level. It's like, can you believe what they did in that meeting? That's silly. Complaints can easily become pains. A, a, a complaint becomes a pain when it happens repeatedly of like, mm, I really don't like that person as a leader. That's a pain. And when it, when it shifts from complaint to pain is really when we need to do something about it. Because if we don't do something about it, it becomes a stressor. So stressor is usually something that keeps us up at night, right? And that could be, gosh, I really don't like my leader and I need to look for another job. And what's that going to look like? Because I need to feed my family. And that's how easily those things can change. I have relationships with a few different people in my life and we call it when we need to vent, I call and I say, can I buy five minutes? That's like the universal language of I need something. That, and that is, and they know on the other end to say like, okay, what do you want from me here? Do you just need to vent or do you want some coaching on this topic? Because sometimes if I get coaching or if any of us get coaching and all we need to vent is that's just, there's going to be a misalignment there because we might be a little bit frustrated. Sure. Um, but it's, and it's a by, by five minutes and I just vent everything that we need to. And they say, okay, what else? And then I'll go maybe for a little bit more and they'll say, what else? And I'll maybe go for a little bit more. And then finally all of that energy is out and they're like, hey, great. What are you going to do about it now? It's to the point, the purpose of venting for me, I think, is it's because I need to figure out or any of us need. And this is what I coach my clients, too, is we actually need to figure out what action we want to take as a result. We just can't keep spinning in that drama cycle. Otherwise, we start to go down the spiral a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I like how you've teased that out into distinct phases of you know, that kind of annoyance, that thing you might complain about to actually, this is kind of painful. This is getting in the way. This is like, this is stopping us from taking action to the stressor of like, actually, I can't take this anymore or something's like something's going to break or something's going to break. And it might be a relationship or it might be my job, right? Or it might be who knows what. Um, yeah, we've got a comment here from Vince that meetings before and after the meetings are a definite sign of false harmony. He probably sees it in some of the organizations that he works with. Uh, Tracy says, you know, that agreement at the table, but then lobbying for a different outcome after the meeting to specific par parties. I think that that's probably something that's a definite sign for me of, of artificial harmony, that false agreement, right? It's one thing to not say anything, but it's one thing to actually put your hand up and say, yeah, it's a good idea, and then go around and try and sabotage that or sandbag that. 
Well, let's dig it. I think that's such an important point. And let's actually dig into that a little bit, because I'm curious as to why people, and I've got some theories, I'm curious what you think, Jeff, around why people agree right in that moment, but then lobby for different things after the fact. Like, what do you think are some of the reasons there? I think it's safety. I think all roads lead to safety and power eventually, you know, I'm a, it's called powerful for a reason, the show, um, all, all roads lead to power. I think leadership is just taking our power and operationalizing it to affect change. Um, and sometimes it's in the operationalizing of our power that we accidentally unintentionally often make things unsafe for people. And so that would be a sign for me that agreeing, you know, I call, you know, I don't know if you're probably, I'm sure you're familiar with the trauma response kind of spectrum, fight, flee, freeze. I see subtler versions of that. I call them the raw responses and it's resistance, acquiescence, and withdrawal and saying yes at the table, but then going around and doing something is a combo of acquiescence and resistance, right? So I'm going to acquiesce in this moment, but then I'm going to shift gears and resist this decision or resist this thing. Um, so it's, it's the same, same ideas. Just the behaviors are more subtle than actually fighting or running away that we might mm-hmm. see in a, in a big, big unsafe circumstance. But to me, that's a sign of safety. Well, and I think it's so yes. And there's like, what's our part in it as an individual, right? If I know that I'm saying like, yep, I just want to get out of this meeting. And so I'm going to say whatever I need to say, so I can do whatever I want to do on the back end. There's a part that I hold in that there's a responsibility that I hold. There's also a part within the team and the organization to create a safe space for those pieces to be hurt too. And so it is a both and it's they're overlapping circles. What I see a lot in organizations that is like, well, I don't feel safe. And so I'm not going to say anything. It's like, okay, let's actually dig into that a little bit because safety, psychological safety, especially is an outcome of something, right? It's an outcome of speaking our truth. It's an outcome of other people being able to create space to hear our truths. It's the ability to take action on them. It's the ability to know right at the end of the meeting, even if everybody wants to go because they've got back-to-back meetings being like, you know what? I actually don't think that we landed on something here and have other people say, okay, Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I love that point. And I think it's good that we hit it early in the conversation around safety being an outcome of something, because then we can investigate an outcome of what, right? like, what are the conditions that create safety? What are the behaviors and the actions and the rhythms and the, the structures that create safety for people? I think too often safety is assumed. Safety is one of those things that we like, we think that trust and safety is a starting point with teams and it's simply not right. Like it is an outcome of actions and inactions, right. That people take. And so thinking about it that way, thinking that it's something that we build or break. And, and I firmly believe that is leadership's job, right? And so, yes, there's a responsibility for people, but if you don't have power in the room, like it's power's job to keep things safe. Um, and so we can talk about that another time. We can, we can dig into power, <laughs> you and I. Um, we've got a couple more comments here, and then I've got a, qu- a couple of questions about psychological safety and artificial harmony before we get into like, why is it so important, right? Because I think that there's some, there's some things that we need to talk about I- about safety, harmony, and conflict, and an aversion to conflict that I think is holding teams back. So we'll talk about that in a second. But let's see what Julie had to say, which is a sign or a symptom of love artificial harmony is having to reread your emails a bunch of times to make sure you aren't going to offend anyone who it's going to. So being like extra, maybe maybe there's some paranoia in there. Maybe there's a little bit of like, ah, I really want to be super careful, because there's some reactivity, maybe on the team. Um, that's so tough too. That's so tough because as, so as we were talking about with 
the 745-48 that I said. So 7% of what we say, how communication is absorbed. So it's two studies that came out of MIT um, and both came back the exact same, uh, except tone and body language were flipped. So one came back with 7% of communication is absorbed through our words, 45% is body language and 48% is tone. And in the other, other study, they were, they were flipped. Point is, especially with emails, that is why emails are so dangerous. And think about how much time we spend personally trying to craft emails with really trying to control what the other person is going to see or feel or sense as a result of hearing it. And think about what a time time waster that is in so many different ways, right? What if we could just, because there's so, we can have the intention of doing no harm, right? We can have the intention of coming across. It really depends on that other person and what kind of day that they've had, what past interactions you've had, what other truths they're holding of what kind of tone they're going to read into that email. And that's like, emails are so dangerous. A piece of coaching that I always give clients is if there is a conversation to have around feedback or curiosity it's we rely so much on emails and my offer always is like pick up the phone because at least people can actually hear our voice mm-hmm. and we can dive a little bit deeper rather than a one-way exchange and that's not always possible yeah and i think that's but i think it's important and i think in this increasingly virtual world where people are working remotely, there's a temptation to just fire it off in an email and we're, we're all busy and all overwhelmed. And so I think that the pace of communication, um, we treat everything as if it's super important, right? And so people are reading, scanning through these emails and they're reading some feedback, some pinchy conflict type thing right behind something else that's trivial, right? And so we don't necessarily put the priority on it that we need to, um, to make it, um, make it stand out and to make it, um, I think mutually, um, you know, transmitting what we want to transmit and being people being able to receive it in that way. It's like, you're right. Texts and, and emails, super tricky to, to do that. And I've been on the receiving end and I've definitely been on the giving end of some of those um, written correspondence that don't land how we think they're going to land. Um, I'll think about a classic example is uh, like text message conversations with a romantic partner, right? Or spouse or whatever. It's like those can go astray real quickly. <laughs> What do you, why would you put a period on that? Why is there a period on that? Why is it on? all caps? <laughs> My phone got stuck and I couldn't figure out how to... Right. Oh, good point. Um, let's talk a little bit about... Actually, we've got a comment here from Dale. So I just want to pop it up here because uh, he took the time to write it. So we should take the time to read it and talk about it. Um, Dale says that I find that most people have almost a PTSD reaction to conflict and that we're afraid of speaking up. And I think that maybe that we're trending into the territory of like, why does this matter so much? Like, why would we bother speaking up if like, why, why should we embrace conflict and what type of conflict should we embrace? Cause I think that we all probably do have a bit of an aversion to conflict. I think there's a innate desire for us to be safe, especially in that side of a community, you know, we're a very tribal being. And so being the shit disturber in a community, like I think we probably have an aversion to that. Um, and maybe some people have an almost PTSD-like reaction to conflict, depending on the conflict and how pre- present it's been in their life. Um, what are your thoughts on on that? And maybe we can trend into, okay, we've kind of identified what it is and some set of feelings and behaviors around it. Um, why should we care? Like, why, why is artificial harmony a problem? Well, I think one of the first things to name is we actually all have a very different definition of what conflict is. 
conflict is so don't have the dictionary definition in front of me. It's a disagreement or a disalignment with what is happening in the moment. And so it's like, no, actually, I think this or hmm, say more about that because I don't know if I agree. Right. It could be many, many, many different layers. It could feel soft. It could feel hard. It depends on how it's brought up. It depends in the context. It depends on all of these different pieces. And I think, Dale, you're right in terms of we all have our own truths and our own experience of what happens when we enter into conflict, whatever that meaning is that we place on that word conflict. Um, what was your question again, Jeff? I like went There's off. A question in there. <laughs> I why is off. it important? Why yeah. is artificial harmony? Like, why should a leader care? Or if, if you've noticed artificial harmony in, in relationships that you have in your life, you know, what's the benefit of addressing them? Like, why would we try and get into conflict? Right? What's the upside? So here's like a, a big example, I think that we can all um, identify with exactly, especially in this moment. So conflict breeds innovation. Conflict breeds disruption. Conflict breeds something else that's different. So COVID, big disruptor right now, right? Huge disruptor in terms of how we're doing business, what kind of relationships we're having, you know, how much time we spend on Zoom, <laughs> all of these different pieces that are happening. And it has caused us to create new ways of being. And that is the purpose of conflict is this functional tension between how things used to be and how things could be and that messy middle that's in the middle. Um, some of the best, um, so going back to that comment around Canadians are so nice. Canadians are nice because we say yes to things, because we go along with what is offered or what is said. The challenge with that sometimes is that there's no, um, it's the word that I'm looking for. There's no pause in there. There's no critical reflection. There's no like, really, is this the right way? Or is this actually the way that we've always done things? Mm -hmm. And what happens, especially in business, is if we're not constantly innovating and getting better, we're actually getting worse because we're not on that upward climb even even just to maintain because there's other businesses around us that are getting better and better and better and so if we're not embracing the conflict if we're not you know cultivating all of our courage and our heart and um challenging ideas uh and concepts and ways of being in productive ways then i would argue that we're actually not so the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result that's the exact same thing if we're not embracing conflict is we're doing the same thing. We're expecting a different result, but we're actually not embracing the kind of messy middle in it all. Mm -hmm. Here's a really great example. Um, so we've all been to a restaurant before. And this is a, a lot of my examples are from the restaurant industry because I think it's something that we can all identify with. And Restaurants are like little kind of petri dishes because there's so much happening in there. Um, we've all had the server that I call the robo server. They come up to their, your table and they say, hi, how are you doing today? What would you like to drink? And they come back a little bit later. And they're like, hi, would you like an appetizer? Or what can I get you for an appetizer? Have you thought about? And in terms of how memorable is that experience? Well, not at all. 
right? But if they create something that's different, that's out of the norm, that even embraces if somebody says, oh, well, I've got some allergies. Well, that could actually be a definition of conflict because it's a different way. I mean, in restaurants, we can expect that people are going to have some allergies, but it creates new options and creates new avenues that we can go down, right? Or, yeah, stuff like that. So it sounds to to me like we've identified conflict as like this kind of conflict and people who are listening to the audio version aren't going to see me bumping my fists together. Um, but we've, we've very much, I think, characterized conflict as a win lose, right? It's a, there's just only so much of a pie and we're fighting over that pie. Right. And if I lose, that means you win. And so conflict therefore is bad because there's a risk, right? We're at, we're at risk. And we talked earlier today, actually you and I about a spectrum, that we all kind of live our days on. We live our lives on this spectrum where we spend some of it in what I call an at-risk mentality, where we're thinking like, what do I have to lose, right? And that kind of thinking has us avoiding conflict often, right? Because we don't want to engage in something we might lose, right? Versus being at stake, which is what do I have to gain, right? Which is where innovation lives, which is where risk-taking lives. And getting into conflict is a risk, right? Because we, it's, there's an uncertain outcome. Um, so I think that, you know, if we're, if we're going to talk about the upside of addressing artificial harmony, because it, I do believe that it, it's, that's a symptom of a, a lack of safety on a team, um, we actually have to embrace conflict. And I think that that maybe is the distinction that a lot of leaders who are trying to build psychological safety, they're having trouble wrapping their heads around, like, how do, I, how do we have conflict in the boardroom and keep it safe? And so the air on the side of keeping it safe, which often means kind of squashing conflict, being kind, being nice, um, being supportive, like all good characteristics that we want in leadership, but not pushing people, not necessarily talking about um, or like challenging issues, right? Putting the, the most important things on the table, encouraging debate, um, those other types of behaviors that are going to drive innovation. So I see it, like I see that tension often. Um, how would you characterize kind of an aversion to conflict? Or you can talk about whatever you want. I don't know if there's a question in there. I just ramble. <laughs> Well, what I really like about what you shared in that, I don't think it was a ramble, but in that piece that you shared was the difference between um, at stake and at risk. And there's something about, so what the difference between the two is for me is a stake is something that we can really like put in the ground and something that's really, really important to us to get behind. So if, you know, getting along at all costs is our stake, well, there's probably going to be artificial harmony that shows up. There's probably going to be meetings after the meetings and meetings before the meetings. But if we make a stake that is around, um, gosh, we just want to be the best possible team that we could be, or we want to, you know, innovate the way that our business unit does business or we want to, you know, it's really about getting alignment with that. And then that creates, I think, a little bit more safety around those disagreements because we're disagreeing in service of something, right? Where we've got this high dream or this vision and we can have all kinds of different disruptions because while we may be misaligned on some things, we are absolutely aligned on, on something else that's very important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see that. Like, very, very clear alignment for vision and values, right? Like what it is we're here to do and how we're going to go about doing it, the qualities that we want, like we're going to do it in these ways. But 
tons and tons and tons of disagreement and different ideas and opinions about how we're going to get there, right? Because that's how we get our best ideas. And I think that for a lot of the teams that I work with, it's shifting conflict from, it's not about individuals. It's not about you, right? I know you're really attached to your idea, but if you can let go of the ego and the person, like your personal investment in the idea, and, and if we can just talk about the idea, if we can put that on the table, and we can and we can all agree that it's in service of getting to that place that you describe, maybe that's a better team, maybe it's a more innovative product, maybe it's whatever, right? Then that idea can like the the intern, the guy that just started two weeks ago, his idea is just as valuable as the CEO's, right? I think that's an idealistic type of world where good ideas should come from anywhere, right? Inside of an organization. And they often don't, right? How often is it that, and I was guilty of this as a leader, I'd wake up and I'd have a shower and in the shower, I'd have an idea and I'd drive to the office and I'd try and implement that idea in like an hour, right? And my team's like, seriously, Jeff, like slow the, slow the F down, right? Like, yes, that's a problem, but there's lots of different ways to deal with it. So I think that shows up, um, again, that's a safety piece, right? Oftentimes teams don't feel safe in challenging ideas and, and putting their, the, the, the vulnerability, I guess, that's associated with it. Um, it's an interesting discussion that is starting to veer us off course a little bit from artificial harmony, but that's how this works. <laughs> that's the podcast with Jeff is we just like, we go wherever the conversation goes. So maybe let's hit pause. You can, you can keep talking, but I'm okay. going to, in a second, I'm going to ask the, the guests, the people that are watching live, if you have a question, if you want to redirect this conversation in some way, or if you've got a, a need that isn't being met in this conversation, you've got a question for us, um, by all means, throw it into the chat and we'll do a little bit of a Q&A as we roll. Um, but are, are any other thoughts that you have on kind of why it matters before we move into like, what can we do about it? Like practically speaking, what can leaders do to tackle this issue in, on their teams or in their relationships? Yeah, I've got maybe a bridge comment. So I want to introduce this concept that is the difference between alignment and agreement. And they're actually two different concepts, right? We can be aligned on something and not agree. Or And I think that what where artificial harmony shows up a lot is we think that agreement is alignment. So alignment is, so taking kind of a big, example of Jeff you like skiing and I like snowshoeing and you're I was like no I am a skier by the way but I would say like no downhill skiing is for crazy people I can't believe you go down the hill that fast with things strapped on your feet I'd way rather you know trudge through the snow on my snowshoes that's we're out of alignment or pardon me, we're out of agreement. What we're aligned on is, you know what, what I can really get behind is that we both really enjoy snow sports. We love being outside. We love being active. We love the hot chocolate or the scotch or whatever that comes up <laughs> that comes after being those sports. But that is the, so on a team, it might look like um, for a product design, for instance, it's like mm, that packaging really doesn't articulate our brand. It doesn't say the messaging that we want. Um, but the agreement or the alignment might be, but you know what? I know that a really sleek packaging that communicates our brand really well is important to both of us, even though we're out of, out of agreement of what that might look like. And so for teams kind of going in this direction, I would say seek alignment and celebrate disagreement and know that the two are different. Mm -hmm. And alignment fundamentally on vision and values, 
right? Yeah. And and the strategies that we're going to take or the the concrete how this looks in practice, lots lots of disagreement, right? Lots of good ideas, lots of um yeah, competition, competition of ideas on the team. Yeah, one so some teams call it a, a a mission of their team, right? So you've got your big company purpose, your big company mission, you've got your values. I would say mo for most teams there is a purpose or self-organizing teams even there is a purpose of why the meeting is there or what the mission of what needs to happen. Another way to say that that I like is like what is our stake? What are, what is something that we're prepared to, in your language, Jeff, to, uh, prepared to put in the ground that we want to rally around? So a, a stake for a program that I was a part of recently is everyone is a leader. Everyone is a leader. And so any disagreement that came up, anything else, it was like, nope, we believe, we stand behind that everybody is a leader. And so we need to have the disagreement, have the, you know, however else that looks like, but we come back around, we're totally aligned that everyone is a leader. Awesome. No, I love that. I think, I think whatever you call it, purpose, why, vision, mission, stake, you just got to have something, right? You got to have something. And I've found that anytime a team can create that, anytime a team can build that, you get much higher levels of buy-in right? It's not being imposed by some other place. Oh, hey, we're doing this now. It's something that's been co-created. So there's a, there's a process of co-creation. I think that's really important for that to get full buy-in and to get ownership. Because that's ultimately, you know, when I talk to a lot of leaders and when I think about times that I've led teams, I'm like, I really just want ownership. I want people to take ownership of the outcomes and the impact that this team has. And so, um, and to do that, we need to have something to take ownership of, right? And that's usually outcomes or impact. Um, I don't see any questions that have popped up. So we are either answering them all as we go, <laughs> which is probably not true, um, or people are having a, a, a time thinking of a question when that's okay. And so, it, but if something comes up, feel free to drop it into the, the comment stream. I am going to take a quick commercial break. It's not actually a commercial break. It's just a, hey, before you leave us tonight, you should go and check out KimberlyMcAdams.com. She's a brilliant coach and um, trainer of leaders, and I admire her greatly. So you should, at the very least, go and, and look her up and, uh, and check her out. So... I don't, I don't get to plug myself on this show or I, I, guess I could, but it feels kind of narcissistic. And so, um, I love plugging my guests. So, uh, I'll throw this up again at the end of the night. Um, all right. What can we do about it? What can we practically do? So if, if we're a leader or we're on a team and we see these symptoms and signs of artificial harmony, we feel it, you know, there's a tension there that isn't being resolved. Um, conflict, there's an aversion to conflict on the team. What can we do about it? What are some practical, let's maybe dig in a little bit to if you've got some tips or strategies or activities that people can actually do to surface these tensions and then deal with them. I think that might be a really helpful way for us to um, tie this conversation up. Yep. Well, the first thing that I just thought about, even Jeff, when you were saying that is uh, just naming it, just naming like, hey, I think we've got some artificial harmony going on here, or I get the sense that we're not actually getting to the root of the issue. What is this about? Is just so anything that you're thinking for a leader or anybody else that's on this conversation, if you're thinking like, mm, we're not quite hitting the mark here in your head, my offer would be to actually just verbalize that whatever voice is here articulate it. Because I guarantee if you're thinking it, somebody else in the room is thinking about it. the best way that because sometimes I think like, am I the only one that's here? I don't want to disrupt. 
I don't want to disrupt what's happening in here because it's just me. Well, I guarantee that it's not just you. Often, this is one of the best analogies that I heard is when we're feeling something in a room and other people may be sensing different things, but it's kind of like we're all touching an elephant in the dark. (laughs) So what I mean by that is, you know, someone's touching the tail and it's like, "Mm -hmm, this thing's kind of long and stringy and it's got some maybe hair at the end. Somebody else is touching the foot and it's like, no, I'm clearly touching the foot. Somebody else is touching, you know, the back of the elephant. So we're all touching the same thing. Our Our experience of it is just very different. And so that's the important part with if if someone has the courage to like, "Mm, I think I don't think we're hitting the mark here. And to say, you know what, I don't think that we're hitting the mark. That gives the space and the opportunity for others to chime in around what their experience is. Mm-hmm. No, that's a great, um, that's a great piece of advice. I think just naming that there's something that's amiss, right. And not having to have the answer. I think, I think leaders in particular sometimes shy away from naming things that they don't have then have answers to. I've had lots of those conversations over the years. Like you don't actually have to have the answer, right? That's the point of having a team is that the team gets to develop the answers the team gets to help help us get there it's actually your job to point out those tensions it's your job to like pull those out um let's back up a little bit because there's a question from dale and so thank you dale for throwing a question into the chat and it, and it relates a little bit backwards in the conversation to vision mission values um is it possible to have a shared vision but different views on how to achieve that vision I would say yes. And I would say that that we absolutely want different views on the strategies to get to our vision. Um, otherwise, there's, I think, no point in having a team. Right? Like, what's the point of a team? And it's to bring different ideas, to bring new solutions, innovative ideas to the table. Um, I think if those views are, like, dramatically different, like, that might be a problem. But usually, my experience has been that they're not. Like, if there's good, clear alignment on what that vision is, that lots of different strategies coming to the table is is actually a benefit. It's a net benefit to the to the team. Kimberly, your thoughts? Yeah, that's a great example of alignment versus agreement, I think, is there is alignment with a shared vision, right? There's disagreement with how that vision needs to be executed. And there's also can be alignment and disagreement in that in the how of it. So an example of that, and what I see so often with teams is, we get so like in love with our own idea of how we think something should happen, that we instead of listening to other people, like, who does this in arguments just in general, right? It's like, I know that I'm right. This is the way to do it. Long enough till you feel heard. And then I'll just reiterate my point. Exactly. And I think that we're actually touching on something that's really important with this is because it's not about setting up camp and advocating for how great our idea is, is because that is not going to create alignment. It's just not. And so what I always challenge, and we do some exercises sometimes around this is um, being able to walk over to somebody else's camp And to say, okay, I want to try on your view a little bit. Help me understand what's happening here. Help me understand your how. Like, why do you think this is important? What is your experience of it? And being able to say, okay, I hear you. These are the things that I hear are important to you. And then go over to the other person's camp and then try those on. And then the third part would be to be open to a third way. That is what we so often, it's like this black or white, this way or this way. 
And rarely are the best solutions one or the other. The best solutions are always the third way. And so that would for you, Dale, is, you know, if there's multiple ways on that, how that needs to happen, um, there just needs to be some time set aside around really truly understanding what is important to each person and then what is the best solution that we haven't even thought about yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Great advice. Uh, we've got another question here. So do you want to keep rolling with questions or? I love it. Let's roll right. questions. And it actually, it does tend into what can we do about it? So we're, we're back into the territory of where we thought we might be in this conversation. And it's from Alexander. And he's curious about how we can celebrate conflict and what that looks like to do so. Thoughts on celebrating conflict. I know I've got um, a few ideas. Um, celebration in general, I think, is really important. Celebrating the wins as well as the challenges. Um, but I'll let you go first because I probably took the last one and I have a tendency to talk too much. <laughs> I think we will do. Um, so the best example that I've seen of that, we used to have this. So this is actually perfect because it's one of the hows too, is we used to teach, I used to teach this, um, it's called safe space. It's kind of eight elements of communication. And one of those elements of safe space was called naming the moose. And it is silly as that sounds. So picture me working in a U.S. company. I walked down there and they said, we're going to name the moose. I'm like, what's the moose? They're like, oh, it's the Canadian version of the elephant. And I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> Just- Never heard of that. Put, let's put that off the table. But what we taught companies was anything that was uncomfortable to say. So for instance, if there is a rumor going around that kind of everybody has heard a piece or two about it and not knowing, or if there's conflict that's kind of brewing under the surface, pardon me, the surface, and someone uses the tool and says, I have a moose. <laughs> I need to name a moose. And what that does is it actually creates, it puts some like humor on something that is actually very uncomfortable. Try saying I have a moose without actually smiling a little bit because you think of a moose and then it's like, okay, is it meese? Is there, is there mooses? Is it a big moose? Is it a little moose? There's all kinds of context that it's around that. And when someone says, I have a moose, that is something to celebrate because it takes courage. It takes um, a willingness to say something that's, and usually what happens when someone names, names a moose, my experience anyways, is like the air goes out of the room and it's like, oh, they just said that. <laughs> and so, and the best reaction in that from leaders or from anybody is like, yeah. And that feels like the exact opposite reaction that needs, that should happen in that moment. Right. But it's just that we need to pay attention to the chocolate moose. Could be. I think it's M O U S S E. That would be. But that is one way that we can start to celebrate conflict is if somebody, so pay attention for those, like we are feeling creatures, right? And when we start to get too close to conflict, that like sometimes we get a pinch or our hair stands up a little bit. For uh, when we start to get close to those conversations to sell like, ooh, I think we're getting close or to bring a little bit of humor about into it and just to celebrate in that moment because it lets go of the charge and it lets people know that it's safe to do so. That's a that's a great tip. It's not an elephant in the room. It's a moose. And moose is on the loose. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, I think when it comes to celebration, and so maybe just a quick side tangent before if you we can dig in a little bit um, to some other practices or things that we can think about to, to deal with artificial harmony. Um, I used to work in addictions treatment. And so worked as a youth worker, supervisor, or shift supervisor, supervisor, manager. So I had like a pretty good tour over about a dozen years in that system and got to the point where if you've ever been in a case consultation or like a, a, a very focused meeting on how an individual is doing in treatment, it's a very interesting dynamic because you've got a whole bunch of different perspectives. You've got uh, a psychologist, you've got some teachers, you've got some youth workers, you've got a supervisor, you've usually got an addictions therapist of some kind. And so you've got at least five or six different professional perspectives on what the problem is and what we should do about it. And so that is just like that room is saturated with conflict because everybody's got a different perspective on it. And the conflict, the, the the conflict usually is that the person with the most power in the room drives the conversation, right? It's not dissimilar to a leader who walks into a room and everybody shuts up and waits to listen for what the leader is going to say about what this problem is and what we're going to do about it. This would show up over and over again. And we got to the point where we would actually just task somebody. They would sit in, we'd bring in an extra body and their job was just a mind for conflict. Like they were just like an agitator. And we would celebrate them and I would give them like an extra day off every once in a while. I would slide them like bonus like treats because it's not comfortable to be that person who's like, hey, I think actually we need to stop. You need to stop talking and you need like I need to hear from so and so and actually like actively facilitate that process and have somebody on the team who acts as facilitator. I think and I think you and I have been part of some meetings with some clients before where that facilitation gap is missing and artificial harmony just loves a poorly facilitated environment right? Somebody who's not willing to point it out and say, actually, we need to talk more about that, or actually, that's not on the agenda today, right? And and maybe manipulate or facipulate is what I call it, you know, it's a little mix of facilitation and manipulation, <laughs> but to keep the con conversation where it needs to be going, which is to addressing the conflict at hand, or addressing what's what's going on. So actually building it into the structure. So I think there's a cultural aspect of psychological safety and there's a structural aspect and oftentimes we lean on the cultural aspect and we think that people will just do it because they're going to know to do it and that's it's on the wall as a value statement right but building it actually into the structures of our meetings and the structures of our our organization um you know we had some success when we experimented with that so mm. i love that i love having a person that that is their job truthfully so that is like very tangible actionable pieces like great who's going to spot the conflict today or like who's going to mind for the conflict and just being able to say that i've also heard of companies that actually start meetings with who's going to moose and the purpose isn't to get sucked in because sometimes moose can be drama filled and that could derail the meeting but the purpose is just to name it because otherwise it's taking up bandwidth for us in the background mm -hmm. um there's another, so we talked about clearing assumptions too, a little bit. So assumption clearing is a tool that we have. And the idea with assumption clearing is knowing that each one of us has assumptions that we're walking around with at any given point. You know, Jeff, I have assumptions of you, you have assumptions of me, we haven't really talked about them. And the whole part, the whole point of clearing assumptions is actually not to get the assumptions on the table. It's to energetically release the person that's holding the assumptions, because often we don't realize that we're holding assumptions until we say an assumption that I'm holding is, and then our brain has to search for whatever those assumptions are. So I've done that, I'd say, oh gosh, I've had a 
taught this a number of times and it usually takes, gosh, a lot of practice to be able to be succinct and get to the point of what we want. And I didn't realize how hard it was to name the assumptions that I'm actually holding or that we're actually holding or because we're not even aware of them. That's a great exercise. Can you walk us through it in a bit more detail? Because I assume there's a little bit more to it or there's a structure at least of doing that so that it it is more succinct. Um, is there like, can you describe this tool or can you walk us through it? There, absolutely. So I'd love to walk you through it. I'll walk you through it. And then do you want to do an example with me? Would you be willing to be a bit of a guinea pig with clearing an assumption? Of course I would. <laughs> okay, now it gets real. <laughs> no, our, our viewers are going to are gonna spike because everybody's telling their friends, you got to get over here. You got to watch uh, Jeff and Kimberly about to clear assumptions well that's real so just a bit of background too jeff and i are our paths are crossing in a few different ways and a few different projects and so there it's there's lots of assumptions <laughs> so this is perfect perfect timing and it's real right so the framework is the it's like three parts of a sentence the first part is an assumption that i'm holding is the second part of that is, and the impact that that has on our relationship is. And then the third part is, what's here for me now? So with the first part of an assumption that I'm holding is, would be, is my indicator to think about Jeff and what assumptions that I have around him or our work together. With the second part of the impact that that has on our relationship, any assumption that we hold has an impact on our relationship, whether we're conscious of it or not. The saying of the impact that that has on our relationship is, is just helping us be conscious of all the ways that that is influencing our relationship. My way of being, your way of being, our way of being together. And then the last part of what's here for me now is for actually me to just get present in my body and to feel how it feels that's different now that I've been able to clear that assumption. My experience usually is that after I clear an assumption, and this is what I've heard from clients and people that we've done this exercise with too, is that there is an, there's a settling almost. There's um, like the gap or the kind of um, energetic, I don't know, cloud maybe that's in between two people has gone away. And so the purpose of it, the purpose of clearing assumptions is to uh, build greater connection, build greater relationship and being able to just be like radically honest with somebody else. So you're ready. I'm ready. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's see. I need to make sure that I've got a good one here. Okay. So Jeff, an assumption that I have about you is that when you ask me to be a part of the show, is that you see me as someone that has a lot of tools and knowledge in this area and, um, and that you want me to do a good job on the show. The impact that that has on our relationship is that I really do want to do a good job, that I prepared 
And that maybe I'm a little bit nervous too, of like kind of getting all of the pieces together and making sure that we're executing effectively. Um, that also kind of puts the dynamic on the relationship of, um, yeah, a little that like an execution and a perfectionist and a, there's a bit of sensitivity there too, because we want to do a good job. Whew. What's here for me now is uh, settling. And I also cannot believe that I said that on a live stream. <laughs> <laughs> but I, the whole part, like I wanted to do something that's real, right? And so what's the point of doing the exercise if it's just like a not real? And an assumption that I have of you is that you bring, you're bring, you going to bring your whole self and you're going to bring your real self. And I've seen you do that in lots of different ways. And so I guess that, that assumption I had is that you would do that here tonight on the show. And the impact that has on our relationship is I believe higher levels of trust around and, and connection to um, each other's professional competencies. And what's here for me now is actually a little bit of relief because there's always a piece of me that worries. And so maybe it's another assumption um, that sometimes people say yes to me because I can be persuasive and they don't want to let me down. And, and my assumption was that you would say yes, because that's something you, that was really fulfilling for you and that you would really want to engage with. Um, and so that's, I guess, was confirmed with your, your assumption um, that it is something that is meaningful. And so that's um, what's here for me now is probably a bit of joy and a bit of, uh, yeah, that's what's here. So what I will say, so what I'd love to challenge everybody that's listening, truthfully, is to, A, become aware of an assumption and clear an assumption with somebody that's important to you. Or if it's a team member, if it's somebody in your family, maybe, um, you know, bonus points if the relationship isn't as strong as it could be. And see what that has an impact. And maybe they'll feel called to clear an assumption with you. Maybe not. That's not the point. The point is wanting to get clear on what is our stuff in this relationship? What is our part in this? And to get to harmony, like just see and feel, I can sense it, of what shifted with Jeff and I, even when we just did that, right? And so that is conversations just get real and deeper faster when we're not holding on to any assumptions or we could be truthful with what assumptions we are holding. I love that exercise. And uh, that lines up with lots of other things that I like to help people with in clearing, in clearing out the blocks to meaningful connection, right? Because that tension is there. That assumption is there. Even if it's a, like a positive assumption about somebody, it's still an assumption that's impacting our relationship, right? And so being able to name it, like you said earlier in the conversation, just the act of naming some of these tensions is often enough to get them moving, right? Mm -hmm. And I love that framework. I love the simplicity of it and the the acknowledgement that it doesn't have, there doesn't have to be an, an and, right? It's just what what is, what's so here. This is us just acknowledging what's, what's real for us. Um, and I think that if leaders did more of that, if teams sat in that space a little bit more, in that little bit of uncomfortableness about being true about what they're carrying around with them. Um, I think we'd see less artificial harmony and more productive conflict or healthy conflict on teams for sure. Um, yeah. Thank you for 
that uh, exercise. I got a lot out of it and it's my podcast. So that's all that matters, right? I'm, no, I'm sure the viewers got lots out of it too. And I'm sure that people listening in later will also get more out of it. So um, we are coming up on the hour, which is what I had booked your time for. Uh, we do have one question here from Julie that maybe I'll throw up on the screen and we can kind of round out our conversation with that. And then we've actually got a special guest that's going to join us here in a couple of minutes because um, he's he's next week's guest on the show. And we both know him. So I thought we'd throw him on and maybe get some of his reflections on the topic of tonight um, as, as a way to close things out, if that's OK with you. I'd love that. Yeah, I'd love it. All right. So Julie asks if uh, teams ever resort to artificial harmony because they have too much on their plates. And co- dealing with conflict is just one more fucking thing to do, right? Do it. It's easier to just ignore it. That, yes. Those are my words. Those are my assumptions. 100%. I think it happens all the time. Where I think that we need to pay attention to, <laughs> I just laugh because some of the teams that I've worked with say, I don't have time for dealing with the communication part of it, because it gets harder before it gets easier. And I don't have that time. And so you can take your tools. And (laughs) and I was like, okay, well, that's easy in the short term, hard in the long term, we got to choose our hard, right? So that's hard. If we choose hard in the short term, easy in the long term, it means that we create space for this. It also is making sure that we're choosing love over fear. Meaning if that, if it's just fear of, I just don't have time, or is it actual fear that I'm afraid of speaking up or I'm afraid of disrupting and I care for my team so much that I, uh, I'm wanting and willing to risk a bit of disruption because I know it's going to be the best for all of us. So that's kind of a a sideways way to answer, but it's, it's yes and pay attention. Yeah. And I would say that, um, busy work and the status quo and just doing things because we've always done them is a, is a sign of a dysfunctional team actually. And so to look at the, um, to look at what the team's actually working on and some of those patterns and rhythms, I know like recently been working with a client around like, do you need to have that meeting? Like, is that just extra work or could that have been an email? Like there's lots of that. And Julie, I know you actually work in the NGO sector. And so it's particularly prevalent. I've worked there for a long time. Um, there is a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of very legitimate, like tons of work to be done. Um, and we layer on top of that sometimes things that aren't as important as actually getting at the conflict or dealing with the artificial harmony. And so I think from my perspective is to prioritize the artificial harmony. Like Kim said, it's going to be harder. Like if there's going to be an, an element of it's like an uphill push for a little while, but you do get over the top with a team and or relationship and then everything gets easier. Everything gets more efficient and effective and it's worth that push. Um yeah, if especially if you're a leader, like that's your job, actually, if you're a leader, like to push the team through that. So wonderful. Um, we're still waiting on our, our special surprise guest. And so while we're waiting, if anybody has any other comments on tonight's live stream, questions for Kimberly, questions for me, uh, don't hesitate to throw them into the chat. Just general comments about the show. Do you like the format? Do you like the people? No, don't don't tell us if you like the people or not. Just the, the format of a live Facebook show. I've had a lot of fun, so it's been great. Um, I am going to. I'd be interested if there's people that are typing away, if they would say one thing that they are wanting to do different as a result of our conversation, like what, it, cause that's the whole point, right? It's like our, our way of being is different. Our lens starts to expand. It's like, okay, great. In service of what? Like, what are we going to, what's one action that we're going to do that's different? 
So I'd be curious to know that too. Yeah. And I'll just add right on top of that is something you're taking away, right? So one thing on action step and maybe something that stood out for you from tonight's conversation or reflection that you've had about your own practice as a leader or on a team. Um, I think that would be great. So uh, another reminder to check out KimberlyMcAdams.com and I'm sure she's on the various social media platforms. And so I can drop some links into the comments once this show wraps up and uh, you can find her there. If you're looking for an individual business coach, somebody to help you take your business to the next level, she's wonderful at that. If you're looking for leadership development or communications training and coaching for your teams, then you should definitely seek her out as well. She is, uh, well, you got a taste of it tonight. She's fantastic. She, uh, she will help you get there. Thanks, Jeff. Same with those. Can I plug you on your show? Does that work too? Uh, <laughs> Sure, sure. Go for yeah. it. I'll, I'll put my, you can check me out, jeffcoolard.com. There That's we go. Jeff, so I can share too. Jeff and I have had the pleasure of we're ideating on some of these communication tools and different things. And just as Jeff has said that he's learned so much from about me, I will give it right back to him as he is. There's no one that makes it more simple and to the point. I love your, um, I'd, I'd call it radical clarity, Jeff. You just have a way of cutting to the point. Um, one of the things that I've really appreciated about working with you. I appreciate that. I have a very much um, life is too short to put up with too much bullshit um, approach. And so that sometimes comes out as radical. If, it, if it's radical clarity, that's great. Sometimes it's just like, actually, let's just cut through this <laughs> path right here that we can just take it straight to straight to here. Uh, Dale says the format's awesome. I need to name the moose more. Um, and Kimberly McAdams is awesome. You're right, Dale. Yeah. She is. And uh, yeah, I think we probably all have Mises, mooses. We have, we have moose in our life. Um, heard of moose. I heard yeah. of moose. <laughs> <laughs> And I think that exercise, that clearing the assumptions exercise that we did, like that's a great initial, simple, um, like theoretically simple, practically, it's a little more challenging. Practically, like you said, it's hard. It takes some practice. It takes, uh, takes some intention and some effort. Um, so, so with that, but I think it's, it's definitely worth it. Um, well, I will say too, it takes some self-management, especially when someone is clearing an assumption that they have about us. What I find anyways, is all I want to say is how they're wrong or how they're right when I'm hearing that. And so it takes a huge amount of self-management to actually not respond because it's not about us. We can circle back at another time and follow up on the conversation, or maybe there's some assumptions about that, but it's really remember the assumption clearing is actually for the person that's clearing the assumption to feel different. Dale likes meese. Meese. <laughs> I'm gonna have to look it up now. What what is it? I think moose is plural and singular. It's one yeah. of those weird ones. Um, but actually, here's a really great question from Alexander that maybe Kimberly, you can tackle. Um, how would one identify when to engage a business coach, and what should a leader be looking for to gauge this? Um, yeah, I mean, this is right in your wheelhouse. You do a lot of business coaching. Um, I do different other things. I do a little bit, but I'm gonna pass this one to you because this is your wheelhouse. Yeah, it's so leadership and business are kind of my two kind of genres, I guess, my two pockets. There's usually some signs or symptoms when someone reaches out to me. Number one is they've tried to grow, but they don't know where to start or what happens, or they've grown and made big mistakes. Like I've had companies that have opened a second location and had to close down because it just didn't work effectively. Um, if there's a lot of turnover within the team, I have especially small businesses have or new leaders that are really trying to grow. 
experience a ton of turnover um, and just really wanting to get to that next level in terms of sales or impact. Like I've had leaders, it's more rare, but leaders just say, I really want to make a bigger impact with my team or I want a succession plan. I don't want to be an owner operator anymore. I just want to operate my bit or I just want to kind of work on the marketing or be an absentee owner. That would be another piece too. So growing your leadership team, paying attention to turnover. Uh, if you've gotten to a ceiling in terms of your sales and can't bust through to that next level. Okay, thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Powerful. Again, my name is Jeff Coulard, and a big thanks to Kimberly McAdams. And you can learn more about her at www.kimberlymcadams.com, and those links will be in the show notes. Stay tuned for next week's episode. We're going to be chatting with Vince Fowler, who is also a business coach, uh, former rugby player and coach, and former military officer who deployed overseas to Somalia. And a bunch of insights about mindset and about embracing the suck. And goodness knows, I think a lot of us are experiencing a little bit of suck in our life with COVID and the stress of the uncertainty that comes with that. So Vince is going to give us some really practical tools and strategies on how we can approach that in our own life. And if you do want to catch the live stream, you can tune in Monday nights at 8.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time on Facebook or YouTube. And you can watch for the replays on this page as well. Again, thanks so much for joining me and have a wonderful week.